Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage. And today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I explained in the previous program that the letter 1 Corinthians is the response to a letter itself, that Paul is responding to a letter that the Corinthians wrote to him that we simply don't have. And I've decided to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, in order to talk about chapter 7 from the point of view or in the tone that I believe Paul is writing. And I believe, as I explained in the previous program, that the tone of his writing, that the purpose of this letter is to simply answer the questions that they wrote him that we don't have, but mainly to deal with the issues that they were dealing with at that specific time, and that it can be a concern if we try to use what he wrote and apply it to our circumstances in our time, because he may not have intended for us to apply everything that he said to our unique circumstances. Now, this, of course, is not to give an excuse or to discount anything that he said. I am only saying this in order to say that we cannot necessarily look at what he wrote and say, Thus saith the Lord. This is exactly what the Lord has for you. Especially when you look at verses such as verses 10 and 11, which I will talk about next, where he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. And he says, A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. And I'll talk about these two verses pretty soon. But when you go to verse 12, he says, But to the rest I, not the Lord, say... When you see something like this, there is a distinction between what the Lord said, what Paul is saying, and he is making it clear that what he is saying is not necessarily what the Lord says, but it's something that we should take seriously anyway, that we don't have to have him say, now, the Lord says, even though I say. But I personally believe, this is my assumption, this is my bias, I believe that Paul is saying these things in order to deal with the present circumstances of what's happening in the church of Corinth. Now, at the end of the previous program, I began in verse 14, and that's where I would like to pick up. In verse 14, it says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. All right, now this is the question that has to be asked, and we need an answer to it, and that is, can a person be declared sanctified because of somebody else's faith? Now, we, of course, have to be careful with this word and how we define it and how we use it. So let me just say it this way. 
Can a person be recognized by God as someone other than an unbeliever? Someone who is other than holy and sanctified. Can a person be seen by the Lord because or through the eyes of somebody else's faith? Will he see them as sanctified? Now, I'm going to say no, but I do have an explanation for this verse. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that if a person is going to be sanctified, it has to be because they are a believer, sanctified in the sense that they are distinct as the Lord sees them. Now, what I have just said could be perceived as a contradiction with what I just read in verse 14. So give me a chance to tell you what I want to tell you. But the first thing that I believe has to be recognized and has to be understood is that if a person is going to be distinct from the point of view of the Lord, distinct in the sense that a person truly is separated, a person truly is set apart, to the point perhaps of maybe they're saved, then this definitely cannot mean that. It can't mean that. There's no way that an unbelieving spouse can be declared saved if they are an unbeliever. If they're going to be sanctified through the Lord Jesus according to the gospel, they're going to have to be sanctified by their own belief. So look carefully at verse 14. Think about this very carefully. Is a person sanctified by somebody else's faith? The answer is no. So is Paul wrong? Not necessarily. Not if he's talking about this from a figurative perspective. If I look at it from a figurative point of view, then I can accept this verse. But if I was to look at this verse and say that an unbeliever is going to be sanctified because of their spouse's faith, there's no chance. There's just no way. So I have to look at it figuratively and to say from a figurative point of view, there is no necessity for a divorce to occur. This is how I read this, that there is no necessity for a divorce to occur according to the example that we have in the law, and I explained this in the previous program with regards to Ezra chapter 10, and the mandate that divorces take place between the Levitical priests and their spouses who were not Israelites, I believe from a figurative point of view that the unbeliever can be recognized as being set apart only in the sense that they do not have to be divorced according to the law. This is just how I personally read this. If you read it differently, then of course, good for you. I'm certainly not going to argue with somebody about this. I know people look at this verse differently. I just wanted to tell you what I think. I think that he's talking about this from the perspective of a figurative expression that a divorce does not have to happen according to the law. Because according to the New Covenant, a person's sanctification is established by their belief in the Lord Jesus, not by their dependency on the law. Again, a person's sanctification is dependent on their belief in Christ Jesus, not their dependency on the law. And so I personally believe that he is saying this in order to say that a sanctification can occur from a figurative point of view, even though there is no chance it will happen from a 
real perspective or from a practical point of view. There's no chance of it happening unless the spouse converts through their belief in Christ Jesus. So that's how I read this. And when I read it from that point of view, it tells me right here in the middle of chapter 7 that the verses surrounding it can also be looked at not from the point of view of absolute law, but from the point of view of answering questions, from the point of view of a figurative representation, things like that, and that we do not have to look at chapter 7 as the absolute determinant for how we make decisions concerning divorce and remarriage. That's my purpose in saying this. Now, what would motivate Paul to write something like this? Why would he say something like this, especially when talking about children? Well, the reason why I believe he would put this in here and say it in the way that he said it I believe that he would have done this because, again, the Corinthians were making changes in their lives, trying to live according to that which is right, not according to that which is wrong, and that these issues would be raised about, do we stay married? Do we get divorced? I believe this would have motivated them to consider these things, and if they are considering these things, then Paul can take the opportunity to address these things and speak of these things in a figurative sense in order to explain to them that they should stay in the condition that they are in and not be so concerned, so concerned about the legal issues or the issues related to the law that it would result in a divorce when a divorce certainly is not warranted or required. That's what I believe. Now, the words that he chose in order to describe this situation of sanctification and holiness, I don't believe that he's saying this for the purpose of declaring people to be sanctified or declaring children to be holy. I don't think that's why he's doing this. I believe he's doing this in order to speak to them in the language of rabbinical Judaism, in the language of Pharisaical Judaism. You see, some of these words that he's using here in this context really are quite compatible with Pharisaical Judaism during this time, and that if they are raising the issues, if they are having concerns about how to live, then Pharisaical Judaism is going to have its influence, especially with synagogues being in their remote proximity. They're going to have some influence from the Pharisees. Many of these people could very well have been converts to Judaism, and Paul met them in the synagogue, told them about the Messiah. They believed This happened throughout his ministry in these regions, and so this influence can very well exist, and I believe it does exist, because of the words that he chose to use, that he is going to speak to them in a way that touches the Judaism that some of them probably had embraced previously, that touches their new faith that they now have today, and that also touches the Mosaic Law in addition to Pharisaical Judaism. That I believe the words that he uses here expresses what I've called in the past Pharisaical residue. Pharisaical residue from the Apostle Paul that is expressed here in order to give a figurative description to deal with some of the problems that the Corinthians were struggling with at the present time. This pharisaical residue, I believe, is reasonable. 
I don't believe it's unrealistic. I believe it's very reasonable that Paul can use words in this way in order to encourage people to stay in the condition that they are in the best they can. Just because they have a new faith doesn't mean they have to dump their spouses because their spouses don't embrace their faith. You can't say, listen, you either convert or I divorce you. You know, nothing like that. I believe that he's using this pharisaical approach, this pharisaical residue, in order to say something about staying together. You know, in the history of Israel, this issue of divorce and remarriage with relevance to faith really has been a big issue. When the people returned from Babylon, I explained Ezra chapter 10, that the Levites were required to divorce their wives in the event that they married a woman who was not an Israelite. But there were many other decisions that occurred that were part of that decision. For example, how would an Israelite be officially identified? How would we determine if a person truly is an Israelite? You know, this is a very important question that they had to find an answer to. And this can bleed into people's faith at this time This question, these answers, these issues, because when a person gets saved, they want to know, are my children legitimate or illegitimate before God, according to the faith? Paul says, don't worry about these things, and he uses these expressions in order to let people know that it's okay, from a figurative point of view, to stay in the condition that you are in. But see, what happened was, was that the Israelites used a verse in the scriptures, they used Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, in order to identify a legitimate child, to identify a legitimate spouse, to answer questions such as this. And I believe the Corinthians had exposure to this issue, or they were having exposure to this issue, which was raising questions in their minds and causing them perhaps to be motivated to question whether they should stay married with the spouse that they were married to or not. What happened when the Jews returned from Babylon was that they identified Deuteronomy chapter 7, and I'm going to read verse 3 and 4, where it says, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Now, of course, this program is not about Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's about 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but I do believe that you should make a note that in verse 4 in the Hebrew, it does not say for they. It actually says, for he will turn your sons away from following me. That's what it says in the actual language. Unfortunately, we don't have a good English translation that conveys that. But that's what it says. It says he. And so what they said was, was that the sons are legitimate, but the he, referring to the father of those sons, is not going to be legitimate. And in this case, that word is used in order to identify a husband, not a wife, a husband of an Israelite wife and their children as sons are recognized as official Israelites. This is the passage that the Pharisees used in order to say that if an Israelite or a Jewish woman is married to a Gentile man, 
then the sons are holy. But if an Israelite or a Jewish man marries a Gentile woman, then the children are not holy. This is important to understand the historical background of this issue concerning marriage, divorce, children, holiness, sanctification. This is where it comes from. It comes from the return from Babylon and it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 3 and 4. Now, of course, this resulted in all kinds of additional issues. The first issue that this resulted in was that there was a paradigm shift in the Israelite society. The paradigm shift was that the identification of an Israelite was no longer determined by the paternal line. From this point forward, the identification of an Israelite was based on the maternal line. This was a very serious paradigm shift. And if you've heard programs that I've done in the past, such as tithing, for example, the programs I did on tithing, you would understand what I mean by that because this has everything to do with inheritance rights, property rights, where people have the right to be, their ability to make a life for themselves. This decision affected everything about the Israelite society and their ability to restore the nation of Israel, which they were never really able to do, not in the way that the law would require, because they made this decision. They made the decision that an Israelite would be identified according to the maternal line instead of being identified according to the paternal line. Now, having said that, I want to mention right now that I did a set of programs titled The History of the Samaritans. And there were a few programs associated with that, the history of the Samaritans, of course, and also the woman at the well who was a Samaritan, and the parable that Jesus gave concerning the Samaritan. There's also the ten lepers, one of which was a Samaritan. I did a very thorough study on the subject of the Samaritans and the importance of the Samaritans in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. For more information concerning the impact of this decision, That's the series that you really want to listen to. But in this context, in these programs, I'd like to emphasize the fact that the Israelites at this time declared the children to be holy only if they were born from a Jewish mother. If they were born from a mother who was a Gentile, they were not considered to be holy. And so if you take that understanding and bring it in, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, when Paul makes a declaration that the children will be holy even though one of the spouses is unbelieving, there is a connection. I believe that there is a connection between the Pharisaical doctrines related to divorce, marriage, having children, whether or not the spouse is sanctified, whether or not the children are holy, he takes this pharisaical residue and he applies it in this context and says, listen, don't be concerned about an unbelieving spouse any more than you should be concerned about whether the spouse is a Jew or a Gentile, because in the New Covenant, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is a new creation in Christ Jesus. So if we take what they would have considered to be of great importance according to the flesh, if we take that, then we can understand how Paul is using that in order to explain 
a spiritual truth which has nothing to do with sanctification or holiness. It has to do with stay married, folks. That's what it has to do with. Okay, But he explains this by using Pharisaical Judaism, the issues related to these things. He uses that to make a figurative description to say that an unbelieving husband or wife are both technically set apart, sanctified. They can still be married to a believing spouse because from a figurative point of view, they are sanctified. And the children are, from a figurative point of view, holy, even though they are not the children of a believing spouse. All right. Now, he says that in order to deal with the question that they were asking him. And again, I believe, but I have no way of verifying because I don't have their letter. I believe that they were probably motivated by their concerns related to Pharisaical Judaism and the entire Jewish culture which embraced these things that I just described. They were dealing with these things. He says what he says, and then he continues into verse 15. This is where I'll proceed into verse 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, where it says, But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, if they want to leave, let them leave. But you don't have to push them out. You don't have to shove them out. You don't have to dump them. You don't have to divorce them. Because you're concerned about your relationship with your God, whether you are holy or not, or your children are holy or not. Listen, it's okay to stay in the state that you are in. If you are married to an unbelieving spouse, it's okay to be in that marriage. There is nothing inherently evil about that. You don't have to be concerned about your marriage being sanctified or not, or the people being sanctified or not. I believe that that's his purpose in writing this. His purpose is to encourage people to stay together. That's what I see here. His purpose is to encourage people to stay together. He uses some pharisaical residue, some words that I believe they could relate to because of what would cause them or what would encourage them to have concerns about this to begin with, which I believe can come from either the law or from the synagogue, from the Pharisees, from people who were wanting to be holy, who were wanting to do that which was right. Paul says, listen, it's okay to stay in the marriage that you are in. It's my opinion that 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 14, 15, and 16 are written with that intent, with that motivation. Now, having said that, I can now proceed and go back into verses 10, 11, and also I can refer to verse 12. But let me start with verse 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. And then in verse 11, But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Well, certainly, I would expect the Lord to say, listen, if you're married, then stay married. Don't leave each other. Stay together. Do what you can 
to stay together. But there's something I want you to notice here. And that is that in the previous programs, I explained that the Lord said in the law that there were circumstances where divorce was either required or divorce was permitted. And so how can you reconcile the laws that he gave with something like this? Well, look a little closer at verse 11. But even if she does depart. Now, what do you mean, even if she does depart? He just said, don't depart. He says, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Well, how can he say that when he said, don't depart? I mean, he said, don't depart, so don't depart. This is like saying, listen, I'm telling you, do not leave your husband. But then you leave your husband. And so he says, listen, I'm telling you, remain unmarried or be reconciled with your husband. It's like a concession. It's like, well, you wouldn't obey that one, so now I'm going to give you another one. Well, try this. According to the law, if you get remarried, you cannot return to your first husband. Deuteronomy chapter 24, I explained that in a previous program. So this is what it's going to sound like. If you're married, don't leave your husband. But if you leave your husband, remain unmarried or be reconciled to him. But if you get remarried, then... Don't get reconciled with your husband. Don't go back to him because if you did that, you'd break the law. Do you see that? Do you hear that? He says, in this circumstance, if you can stay married, do so. But if you can't, then in this circumstance, live this way. But if you don't do that, then in this circumstance, live this way. Do you see what he's doing? The Lord is providing a way to continue to live to continue to have a relationship with him in whatever circumstance you are in. He will continue to direct you to make the best choice that you can make in the circumstance that you are in at the present time. And if you fail to do so, then he will still be there with you. He will still have additional guidance for you. He will not condemn you. You will not be punished. That's not the purpose that God has in people's lives. His purpose is to direct people in the best way that they can be directed in the state, in the condition that they are in. But I'm out of time for this program, and so I will speak about this again in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net